Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Cement Saw Podcast. In this episode, we will be looking at a forbidden psalm. Now, this system is already quite well known for a very good reason. Its presentation is quite like nothing else out there at the moment. I'd say that the closest thing I would be able to compare to it would probably be uh, Turnip 28. Uh, We'll get to why in a bit, but before we start, I would like to thank DB Export Dry for manufacturing tonight's uh, drink of choice. I would like to thank them for making it. I would like to thank myself for buying it. If anybody out there is from the uh, the company that makes this beer, hit me up on Twitter. Forbidden Psalm is a system that is a derivative of the Morkborg RPG. Now, I don't know anything at all about the Morkborg RPG, and I have not done my research at all to keep in the mood of this level of production, and also to keep the focus on the wargame system at hand. Now, while it does tie into the RPG, and it does make attempts at injecting some RPG flavor into the scenario design, it is a firmly standalone. It is, I believe, $40 from the official website that is the book, including the PDF, which, given the arrangement of the book, it is full color. It is quite a striking arrangement. I think that's a pretty good deal. The PDF by itself on Wargame Vault is $12.75 US dollars, which is totally fair. I think that is a good price for it. Forbidden Psalm is a dark fantasy skirmish scale warband game that is meant to be played with campaign progression in mind. It is designed... Actually, I can't tell what it is designed to be. It has scenarios, and the scenarios will often have options for co-op and for solo play. And they're usually just little tweaks, but it is impressive how much of the scenarios made have the solo and co-op options available. I think this makes the purchase of the PDF even higher value because... Because you can play it in so many ways. So, for example, first you play the game and you want to learn it, you can go in and just start playing because a good bit of these scenarios will just have solo rules. And to further facilitate that, the game also comes with standees that you can print out and play. Once you have your head around the rules, or once you've prepped some models, you can get another player to hop on board and play co-op with you. Or alternatively, if they're enthusiastic enough, you can play adversarially with them as a standard for this type of game. On a macro level, in terms of how one is meant to engage with the system on the long term, I think this book is quite well considered, despite how uh, punk the presentation is. Now, each time we go into one of those uh, musical interludes, that will mean I've uh, taken a big uh, sippy sip out of my drink here. It won't necessarily mean a glass. Like, right now I am drinking beer. This is honestly not the most efficient way to do what I'm doing. The most efficient way would probably be rum or whiskey. But we'll work with this for now. 
back to discussing the book, as you open it, it will immediately hit you with the uh, very unique layout it has chosen for its rules. And most books, they will stop at like page 4 with a fancy layout. Forbidden Psalm, it goes all the way through with the layout. I have not bothered to count the fonts used in this PDF, but I am sure there are at least five. It is very impressive. As of the last few systems I have covered comprehensively, it has come to mind how important this presentation is in establishing the impression of your game. I think Forbidden Psalm, with its layout choices, has very effectively laid down both the mood of the game, what the designer wants the player's mindset to be like approaching their design, as well as the mechanical intent of the game. In this case, I think it would be pretty safe to assume that most people would not think this were a competitive-leaning game. It is a bit too extra to communicate that sort of mindset. The book does not start with a, a lore waffle per se. It starts more with a big piece of mood-setting art along with a caption down the bottom. The mad wizard hides in his castle, only appearing for those willing to undertake his bidding. And then it goes into the proper lore waffle. Once that is through with, it will go into the rules. Forbidden Psalm rolls off a d20 target number system with modifiers. So it's pretty basic in that regard. The game works off five models, and it encourages you to randomize your models and model them accordingly. The character creation has some agency, but most of it is randomized. Now, actually, now looking at it closely, more closely, I would say the amount of randomization to straight-up player-chosen customization is pretty even. You can choose your stats from a couple of spreads, but you have to roll your flaws and weaknesses, but you can also choose your equipment. There is also a casting system. You can have one of your fellas be a caster, and they are given two scrolls, one clean and one unclean, and it is interesting to note that the font changes when describing the unclean text. It's very fun to read through. I think this would be this would make for a really interesting physical book. For the game's turn structure, it is pretty standard, alternating activations. If there are any monsters in the round, they go after the players do. The rounds go for up to six rounds, I believe. When a model activates, they can move and then do an action. Movement must happen before the action. If you do an action first, the turn ends. Determining who goes first in the activation order is just a roll of the d20, and there are options for ranged attacking and melee attacking. All pretty standard. Once a attack 
in Forbidden Psalm hits the dice type changes from d20 into uh, d4s, d6s, and d8s. Oh, and d10s as well. It is a very D&D in this regard. Now, personally, it's a little bit of a pet peeve for me if a system uses like this many dice all at once, especially if it's just for damage, but that is just me. For some people, it will be a big plus because it will feel like D&D. A model having armor will reduce its damage taken accordingly, according to armor value. When close combat happens, there is a counter-attacking system. This counter-attacking system makes combat a little bit more complex than just rolling to hit and seeing what happens. The counter-attack by default is made at a penalty, but if you have a friendly model backing you up, the counter-attack is not made on a penalty. There are rules for fumbling and for crits. A crit when it happens will just make a weapon do your maximum damage. A fumble when it happens will make you drop your weapon, and you have to mark this on the table when it happens. And tied into that, weapons like melee weapons may also be thrown, which I think adds to the, the, the quite desperate feel of the setting. Because when you get to the point when you have to chuck your melee weapon at someone, that's usually when you uh, don't have much choice left but to do so. It's a nice touch. It is a nice touch. Now here's an interesting thing, the game has morale. So when you do morale, you just make the appropriate check. If you fail the check, you start moving off the board. If you move off the board, you are out of the game. Pretty standard. But the thing is, what triggers morale? So two things trigger morale. Number one, if a model is critically hit, they have to take a morale test. Number two, when they strike a downed enemy, they have to take a morale test. Now downed, much like in Dungeons and Dragons, is the state before dying. It's when you reduce a model's HP to zero. Now if you want to make sure that the model is taken off the board, you have to risk a morale check. I think that is a very interesting dynamic. That is something to take note of, I believe. But it gets even more interesting, because when you strike a downed opponent, they are immediately killed. Now I'm reading it back and forth, I do believe dying in a scenario means you die in the metagame. So like being that big of a mean person to your opponent is an option in Forbidden Psalm, which is a choice. I think it's an interesting choice. I'm not sure. How it plays on the table, it bears mentioning, I haven't, I haven't mentioned it yet, but I have not yet played this game. This is an impressions overview. Uh, the game also has uh, spellcasting and is, as is a tradition in dark fantasy tabletop, spellcasting carries a pretty big risk. It has the whole, uh, it's called a calamity table in Forbidden Psalm. And the twist here is that there are grade, there is rather, there is a gradient to your failures. So you only get to roll on the, the bad things happening table when you really fumble it. Otherwise, you just gain a, what's called a tragedy. It goes on your character sheet. And those tragedies, they build up. And usually they don't do anything up until you roll that fumble. And then you will add your tragedies to the result. So it is rigging it so that your 
spellcaster will have something bad happen to them at some point if they fail enough. It's just a matter of time, really. And that is, I think, very on-brand of this system. And I gotta say, some of these, uh, these Calamity Table results are pretty entertaining. This game is one that celebrates character death, let me put it that way. Now, to balance out all of this, uh, lethality, the game also gives you omens. Omens are given out at the start of any scenario you play, and they are meant to curb the RNG a little bit. Almost always in the, uh, the using player's favor. They involve rerolls or cancels of criticals or fumbles. I think some of these uses, like for example, uh, the banality omen, will let you cancel one critical or one fumble. Uh, for example, the fate omen, which rerolls any dice, yours or someone else's. I find that re-rolling somebody else's die, like making them re-roll their die, can be a little bit of a bad feel mechanic. But at this point in this system, that's like a pretty minor thing. This system is buck wild, man. It's simple, but it is doing some crazy things. Mostly with uh, the rate of bad things happening. And that just about covers like the base behavior, the, the core engine of the system. From there, the book goes on to describe its various monsters, and there actually isn't a lot. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 monsters spread out for use in the various encounters. And I actually quite like this number because it lets you achievably model a set of miniatures in the system style because it does evoke an extremely specific style of modeling. Blanchetsu will of course immediately come to mind. Monsters, when you fight them, the game gives you this ability to harvest them to, for, their, uh, for their sweet meats. And harvesting is, it is a whole action. It's something you have to sacrifice an action to possibly an entire turn, and it's not even guaranteed. But I think just that action of, like, turning this threat into a resource by willfully mutilating the corpse, that is, again, super on-brand. Once the monsters are described, the book goes into table setup, which is a two-page deal. The most interesting thing here is that Forbidden Psalm recommends a 2x2-foot table. Now here's the thing with a 2x2-foot table. In most cases, with skirmish games, 2x2-foot is all you'll ever need. And I think as we get along with more people coming in to try their hand at designing these war games, these miniatures games, people are realizing that. Especially with a games workshop working off the 22 by I believe, 30 22 by 30 board for Kill Team. That is one of the best-sized boards I have played games on, by the way. I think the old standard of a 3 by 3 foot board is the longest you have to go for a skirmish game. Going 4 by 4 if you go 4 by 4 there better be a good reason for it. There better be, like, running away rules or some, or some units with really long-range guns for you to go 4 by 4 But I digress. 
After the blurb on the table setup, the book goes on to describe treasure, and then it'll do a little bit of a lore setup, because it is now ramping up to describe the scenarios. There are quite a number of scenarios here, and they are numbered, uh, suggesting a linear manner of play. And yes, I do think going down following the numbers is the best idea here. These scenarios are quite comprehensive. Like, they will make up the majority of the, the word count of the book. The very distinct layout of the book it stops dead when it comes to these scenarios because it just has to give way to the sheer amount of text. It's not that there's a lot, it's just there has to be an amount to describe what's going on here. And they do not skimp on the diagrams as well, which is very good. There is still some art interspersed here though, and some of these scenarios will have a nice splash of a color or a different font to differentiate it from the others. There is still there is still some layout work going on. Overall, there are 10 of these scenarios, and if you play them 1 to 10, it should get you a very interesting story. There are also little RPG blurbs down the bottom of each diagram to give you some more context as to what you're doing and as to what happens when you finish. You are meant to play the game... With campaign rules, of course, and the campaign rules are all the way in the back. They are after the scenarios. Uh, the campaign rules are pretty much what you'd expect. You see if anyone dies, you get XP, and you can spend XP as well. Recruiting warband members is totally free, which is a nice offset to what I assume is a pretty lethal game. The, the death saves, they are quite hard to make in some instances. Depends on your on the toughness of your model. Also, if you're playing adversarial, I, I cannot imagine how that dynamic works. Just like being able to kill your opponent's uh, models if you're like in the mood for it. Related to the campaign rules, there are also rules for special relics. You can only have one for each campaign, which is pretty cool. And a merchant who you can sell your items to as opposed to the regular seller, who is the uh, the wizard who's giving you jobs. He's usually the guy you sell your uh, stuff to. If you go for the merchant, he, he buys things at a higher price, but there is a risk involved in that. It's, again, very interesting, very thematic. And finally, to cap off the book, it gives you a create-your-own-scenario section along with a wagon racing scenario, which is really cool. The wagon racing scenario uses a whole bunch of kinds of dice, and it's pretty comprehensive. It's real interesting. And with that, we go to the auxiliary stuff, so all the character sheets. It's a one-page character sheet, which speaks to the relative simplicity of this game. And on the very last bits, you have the standees you can cut out and use if you don't have any miniatures. A quick guide for making your own, converting your own miniatures here. And finally, a miniature randomizer, which is interesting. I think if I play this, I'd go for a miniature randomizer run. Just like generate five random dudes. And so we go to Will I Review This Game? I think. 
I think I might. It's I really want to see how it goes. Just generate a warband of five and see how far in the scenarios I can take them. Because again, this to me appeals as a solo game primarily. And I think that systems, independent systems, can really flourish in that environment where you can play them just like anytime you want as a solo experience, but also you can have one of your friends play if they're really interested or if you have the miniatures for them to use. Either in co-op or in something a bit more adversarial, the, the one of the last scenarios actually really fits for a campaign that is run by like two people adversarially. Oh, some more thoughts. Uh, it is alternating activation, skirmish alternating activation, 10 models total, usually 5 aside. I think that's fine, but I also think, and hear me out, I think that I go, you go, just like standard as I go, you go at skirmish scale can work way better than people give it credit, especially when you're playing with a heavily melee focused game that has counter attacking or simultaneous melee. If you have played Mordheim or Warhammer Skirmish, you will know what I am talking about because that core engine is so fluid because it is I go, you go. That engine just goes, man. It's great. Another thing. This is a simple system. I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it is a simple, but there is depth there provided by the... Just the, the counterattacking, the positioning involved in counterattacking, and the fact that it is so melee focused, along with the, the the ability to throw weapons and the the system for dropping weapons when you fumble, that adds a lot of depth to it. But here's the thing: it is simple, but the way it is laid out in just these big, confident strokes of design, with the big characterful font explosions with the splashes of color and the changes in font and the, the askew text, it makes it so engaging to read, man. Like one of the, the, the factors that dissuaded me from getting into one-page rules before I was doing the reviews was how clinical one-page rules presentation is. It's, it's, it's literally a spreadsheet, man. And I just couldn't get into it because I was looking at it and I just get bored, dude, before I could even finish reading the thing. But with this, it's like, oh, look at that font. There's blood on the page. And what's going on on the next page? Oh, no, the, the thing is askew. And he's spending, like, four pages where it's just black. One page that just says HP8 toughness. <laughs> it's brilliant, dude. It's really good. I do think, like, the, the, the basic font, I'm pretty sure this is just Arial. He could have gone with something a little bit more interesting for the basic font here. But that is just nitpicking. That is just me being a dork. And yes, that is Forbidden Psalm. This is a fascinating piece of design, both visually and mechanically. I really want to play it. I'm pretty sure there aren't any comprehensive reviews out. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it next. I've, I've just done. Well, when this comes out, I am ho I've hopefully put out the 5L review. If not, I will put it out. It is on the way. I'm just timing it with the release, to optimize my view count. I do care deeply about the view count. But yeah, probably not after 5L. 
maybe after the thing after 5L. I can I can feel that this will be like a blast to play. I'll maybe make up the monsters on the side or use some of my Maya demons. I don't want to play this at 28 mil. Okay, I'm rambling. I gotta wrap up. I am only three beers down. It's 4% alcohol, but I, I was hungry before, so it's hitting me quite hard. It is a good buzz, though. It is a good buzz. I do hope you have enjoyed this episode today. And I do hope my uh, ramblings here have informed your purchasing, purchasing decisions as to Forbidden Solve. It's just buy, buy the PDF, man. It's real good. Thank you for listening. Until next time.